All right, good morning, friends. I hope you guys are well. Let's uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to continue our little journey here through the letter to Corinth. Just by way of review and by context, remember that the household of Chloe has written a letter to Paul, and they've said, hey, there's some problems in our church. And so this whole letter is a essentially an answer uh, to the questions and to the dilemmas of what's going on there in Corinth. And overall, as we've been saying from the beginning, the issue is, are we going to listen to self? Are they going to listen to self? Are we going to listen to the Holy Spirit, right? That there's a wisdom that comes from inside of us and from this world, from the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2 says. And remember, this is uh, it's the word spirit in our English. It's, it's actually... Basically, well, I want to be careful. It's almost a metaphor every single time because it's pneuma, it's wind. So when we're talking about spirit, it's the idea of this unseen movement, this, but it's also, he's also a person of the Godhead. So you have the Holy Spirit, and you also have Satan, who's called the pneuma, that, that, that causes the pneuma in this world in Ephesians 2. So we have the option to get caught up in that wind or in those ideas and, and where they take us. And, and those ideas typically take us to a place where we self-dominate. In other words, we want to be preeminent. We want to make sure that we're taken care of. We make sure that we're the important one. We make sure that our feelings are defended. We make sure that we're the ones that are taken care of. And that's kind of our natural instinct. We're born that way, right? Babies come out, and what do they do? They cry immediately until what? They get what they want. And then they stop crying, right? And then we turn 20 and we still do the same things. And we turn 40 and we still do the same things, right? We get upset until we get what we want. And so there's a new nature created in Christ, right? And that new nature is empowered by his Holy Spirit that the Bible uses different imagery. Uh, today, the imagery will be we're baptized into the Spirit. There's also that the Spirit falls upon us. It's also that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are also uh, sealed by the Spirit, not meaning like in a ziplock, but in the idea of the, a signet ring, that we, his, his signet ring is upon us, his mark on our lives, and we're sealed for the last day. So there's this new incredible life that we can partake of, but it's a daily choice, right? Moment by moment choice. So in Corinth, they're beginning to misuse the gifts. And they're misusing the gifts. And that's not too surprising when you have people that are getting drunk at the, at the uh, potlucks, people that are bringing a bunch of food and then watching poor people not eat at their potlucks, people that are suing each other, people that are uh, refusing to curb some of their liberties in order to give glory to God and, and their family. Uh, so lots, lots of selfishness that's going on. So that is translating over to the spiritual gifts. Now, kind of a little bit working from the, 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 the end of this section, which is 12 through 14, chapters 12 through 14, we know that what's happening in Corinth is that there are people exercising the gift of tongues, but they're exercising it in an inappropriate way, and there are just tons of tongues going off all over during their worship services, and there's not interpreters. And so Paul's going to address that. So working from the back, you know, forward, I guess, or forward, backward, I don't know, working one way from the other, you have this idea that Paul's putting forward today 
that the gifts of the Spirit are to be used by the person that's gifted for other people. It's not to say that we're not always, that we won't be blessed by the gifts that God has given us, but they're not given to us to just have a selfish experience, just us and Jesus. Now, I get it, and, and it's, it's true that there are wonderful times, it's just you and the Lord, and we ought to have those times. But when we come together, we've been gifted to build up the body. So today, uh, we're going to look more at some, essentially some ideology or some, some dynamic of how uh, the gifts work and, and how God gave the gifts and how we're to operate in them. It might seem a little bit redundant, but there's some nuance to it. So it's a little bit different than what we covered last week. So we'll get stuck in here in chapter 12 and verse 12, and we'll read a few verses. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, uh, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And really the whole subject this morning, and we'll read more in a, in a moment here, but the whole subject this morning is the point that all of us are part of this body, right? That we're all part of what Christ is doing. And later on, he'll be, Christ will be referenced as the head of the body, and we are each members of it. So the first thing he says, this is, he's just bringing up the example of the metaphor, just like a body. Though one has many parts. So it's fairly self-explanatory, right? A body is, there's, you don't look at someone and say, that's a collection of hands and legs. You just say, that's a person, Right? You don't, you don't look at a person for their individual parts and say, well, that, that's a hand and an arm. You just say, no, that's, that's one whole body. That's a whole person. So he says that that's what Christ is like. That's what his body is like. That's what his church is like. Remember, uh, the, the, the idea of church is, a, is the, well, literally, ecclesia is called out gathering in the, in the Greek. It's a called out gathering of people. So he says that Christ called out gathering, anyone and everyone who's ever called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, that they are part of this body, part of this unit, this cohesive unit that God is adding to and is building. There's a lot of metaphor for this, whether it's bride of Christ, a city, a priesthood, a temple, right? These are all metaphors the Bible uses to show that God is taking the people that have trusted in him and he's bringing them together to create something, right? To create a people for himself, an interactive people that he dialogues with, that he interjects into that he empowers to be a blessing to himself and a blessing to him, or I should say to each other. So he's blessed and we are too. So he just makes a simple statement where it's one body, even though it's many parts. Then he says, so it is with Christ. And we talked about that. Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we we're all given one spirit to drink. So first he just identifies this is physically, well, in a metaphorical spiritual sense, physically what has happened. That we've been collected together to be one living organism that works together and operates together and contributes to each other. Then he gives us the empowerment by which it happens. And he says this. He says, we were all baptized by one spirit. So the word, if you're not familiar, the word baptism is a kind of a Bible word that just means fully immersed. 
So we've been fully immersed in God's Spirit. The reason for that full immersion not just to, isn't just personal for the sake of being sealed to himself or that we can have relationship with him because his Holy Spirit, right, when we got, before we were saved, if, or if, you're, if you haven't trusted in Christ today, what happened was we were separated from his Spirit. So we did not have spiritual life. We had bodies, we were breathing in and out. We have souls, right? Because we're thinking, we're considering, we have consciousness. So we had those things. What we did not have was spiritual link or input in an internal way from God. We're told that the Spirit was alongside of us there in John 14. It was para is the Greek word. He's alongside. But later on, once we've received Christ, it says that he's in us. Now, we know that if we were to cut someone open, you're not going to be like a little Holy Spirit hiding in there, Right? It's the idea that the Holy Spirit has, has attached himself to our souls. So we have, as it were, a lifeline or an attachment to God. Peter puts it this way. Not that we are divine, but through his word and through his spirit that we are partakers. We get to uh, uh, in, be involved with and experience the divine nature, right? So we get to experience God in not just an external obser- observant type of way, but an experiential internal type of way. In this case, he's just talking about that we were immersed in the Holy Spirit. And this immersion into the Holy Spirit, it brought in all the dynamic of Romans that were able to, uh, the book of the, the letter to the Romans that were able to choose Christ, were able to choose this new nature, were able to say no to ourselves, were able to repent, were able to do all those things, interact with God. So we, we have that uh, through the Spirit. But then it also is very uh, particular, and it says, that we, we were baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. So the spirit, God's spirit in us, in our baptism, immersion, or our acceptance, our sealing, all the different you know, ways we can look at it, it occurred that, or that occurred, I should say, so that we universally are made into one body, that every Christian is part of that organism, Right? Now, we know that that is not just universal, but also it can be contained to a church, right? That, that our part, our little portion uh, of the body, if you will, that we are designed to be an organism. That can go even farther if you're a small group, if you're a family, if you have you know, a wife and kids or whatever. That in every one of those spheres of influence that the Holy Spirit has been put upon us so that we can be part of what God is building, which are these individual, you know, if you want to call it rings or whatever, it gets just bigger and bigger. But ultimately, it's that bride for his son, that he's preparing us to be able to enter into heaven and to be able to be able to dialogue about the past, to be able to dialogue about how good he's been, to be able to enjoy him in a very physical sense, that we're with him in heaven and these things. So that's what's happening here. You go, why the big, long explanation? This is what we're built for. And yet our society is telling us, and more so with a lot of different difficulties we run into, whether it's COVID or entertainment, uh, whatever it might be, we're isolating more than ever in our society. We're, we're, and, and have you noticed, it's, it's easy to isolate. It's easy to stay away. For some people, other people maybe not so much. But it gets easier and easier to isolate. It gets easier and easier to justify why I'm not going to contribute anything. It gets easier and easier to be like, I don't want to deal with that. Everything in our society is geared towards isolation. Except when it gives us 
the, the opposite of, their, of the world's isolation is, well, if you're you know, involved in this partying or you're doing this or you're, you're part of this club or if you're rallying politically, well, then that's where you find real contentment. But it's all been a lie. It's not true. So Christ says, uh, through our brother Paul, the Holy Spirit says, that we have been given and immersed in the Holy Spirit because God is creating something, and it's one body. It's the bride for his son. Now, in that one body, there's this great equalizer by the Spirit. So the Spirit forms this one body, and it's whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're slave or free. So regardless of your previous religious convictions, regardless of your status or monetary position in this world, we're all part of that one body. And there's an equality in that body. That no longer do the physical boundaries of this world contribute to who you are as a person or your ability to contribute and be part of what God is doing. Verse 14, even so, the body is not made up just of one part, but of many. So this is, to me, every pastor has their hobby horse, right? Every Bible teacher has like their hobby horse that they always cut to and be like, oh, yes, the rapture. Oh, yes, the whatever, right? Every one of us does that. This is my hobby horse because I think it's super important to understand that you have great value. Like there's not a person in this room that doesn't have ability and power to contribute eternally for the good to every other person in this room. And you need to know that. In fact, that's going to be the first thing that Paul addresses when we get into the next section, not to despise what God has given us gifts with. If you don't mind, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. I think a lot of times, for, well, I, I guess I can't say a lot of times, I don't know. I feel like, to use that word, I have observed many times that people get saved. And they get saved and then they just kind of begin to float around. And I don't even have any blame for that. You just kind of start to come to church and... You know, because the, 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 that's what you're supposed to do. I know I got saved on a Saturday night at this big meeting uh, a lot of years ago now, I guess. 92, I think it was. Anyway, I got saved, and I just, I just went to church the next day. Because I was like, man, I'm a Christian now. That's what you do. You go to church the next day, right? So I show up to church, and, and I'm just like, okay, this is church. You know, I've been, here, I've been there like with my grandma a couple times to different churches. And I thought, okay, yeah, there's this guy. He stands up there. He talks for a really long time, and we all have to pretend like we care. Like, this is really great. You know, and that was kind of my view of it, and I just thought, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but this is what Christians do, so I guess I'm all in on this. And, and it, for a long time, it, it took years to really realize that the Christian life actually has engagement, that it actually has uh, contribution and reception. Now, not to say that there's a give and take like we earn something from God, but to say that it's an actual developing relationship. And that the people around me are more than just other people that go to the same church. But that they're all individual souls that I have opportunity. They're either helping me or hindering me getting closer to my Jesus. And I'm either helping them or hindering them from getting closer to their Jesus. And it's, it's on that, those incredible principles that God says he's empowered us, giving his spirit to us, gifted us, called us, blessed us, so that we can be those people that give that incredible opportunity through our conversations, through our blessings, whether it be helping someone, you know, hugging someone, whatever it might be, to help them get closer to their Christ. 
And so all of a sudden, church becomes this thing, if we want to minimize it, just calling it church, it becomes this thing where we literally are entering to the cusp of the opportunity for the eternal, where we're walking into a place to be able to make a difference in someone's life that might change them forever. And we're coming into the same opportunities in our wrestlings, in our sins, in our fears, and all these things. That that's what Paul is saying here with this body, this thing that God is creating that is all different parts in different ways has a unified goal of blessing and getting closer to Christ. And for, to me, it wasn't in the beginning. I thought it was lame in the beginning. But to me, it's over the years become something that's very exciting. Because guess what? There's no U-Hauls, right, behind hearse. We take nothing with us. We can be as rich as possible, and that's fine. Be rich. I, there's no Bible doesn't have a problem with that. But in the end, what we ultimately pursue, the only thing from this life that we see in heaven will be each other. And when we stand before Christ and he asks us, what did you do with what I gave you? When we stand before him and, and he says, what did you do with how my spirit led you? If we're just lost and we're stuck with this idea, well, you know what? I just made sure that my wife and I had an incredible retirement, but I really didn't pay any attention to much else. He's going to say, well, you can come in. But everything that we did that was of no value, the wood, hay, stubble, as 1 Corinthians 3 puts it, says it'll be burnt away. So this is the dynamic by which that you and I walk in the, in the very miraculous, incredible callings and power that God has for us. It's in, in light of these truths and these, I don't know, high stakes, if you want to put it that way, that we get to come to church. And it's not a stress. It's not a pressure like, oh, God, who am I going to bless today? If I don't bless someone, Jesus is going to be mad. It's not that at all. It's the availability. I'm here for it. I'll do it if you want me to. I can just show up in church and leave, and that's fine. Or if you have something for me to do here today, someone to talk to or to bless, to pray for, I can do that too. It merely comes down to the availability. And Paul says, and it's kind of a summation almost of the next two chapters. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, you could almost take this, these couple verses as kind of the summation of the chapters. He says there in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse uh, 15, he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the, uh, the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So God designed the church, the ecclesia, not the building, the called out gathering of people, by very design, it is designed not so that one guy who talks from a podium, but so that every single person that comes has something to contribute here. And not just here, in the rest of the world, in different ministries and all that, but specifically here, because this is the gathering of God's people. And not just this building, everywhere where people are calling upon the name of the Lord is a gathering of his people and his promises, I'm in the midst of that. I'm working in that. I'm moving that. In, the, in, in Revelation, we see him walking in the midst of the lampstands, those testimonies of, of his goodness in different places. And there he is in the midst, tending the lampstands. We have all this imagery that shows that Christ is actively building his church, you and I, together to be something amazing. Our lives were never designed to be mediocre. They were never designed to just be ho-hum. They were never designed to just be like, I guess I'll go to church today. We can live that way. 
We can live that way our whole lives, and we can go to heaven, and then it'll be fine in a sense. But there'll be such a missing out of the thing, the very quality of life that we've been called to live in. So what he says here is that every single ligament, as it holds together and it supplies. So if you ever look at like an anatomy book and you look at a, any joint, it doesn't matter what joint it is. It can be your jaw. It can be your knee. It doesn't matter what joint. You have ligaments that attach your muscle to your bone, right? And if you've ever seen a, like a dislocated joint, it's pretty wild. I remember years ago when I worked for medics, we, trans, we transported this high school wrestler and he had a dislocated arm. And for me, it looked really funny. It wasn't for him. He was screaming. But I thought it looked really funny because it had popped out, come forward, and then he had this big bulge right here, and he couldn't move his arm. So he just walked around like this the whole time. We had to like, put him in the ambulance sideways, all that. So it wasn't funny. Things get dark when you work on an ambulance. But anyway, so he's, he's got this. And what happens is it pops out, and then the ligaments pull it into a weird place. right? If you ever see someone's knee fully pop out, it goes boop, boop, and it goes up. I remember one time in a car accident, a guy got their, their it's called the greater trochanters, the top of your uh, femur bone. It came out and went into his hiney. Again, not funny for him. This is huge. So what happens with the idea there is this ligaments, they're really tight and they hold things together. And so Paul's saying it's like that in a body that we shouldn't have loose affiliations. Am I saying that everybody in church should be your bestie? No, that's impossible. But what I am saying is that by God's design, what he's looking for is groups of people that are tight together. Now, I know that you can't make that happen, and that's not what I'm saying here. But there are steps that we can take to allow it to happen. And it comes down to, if God says, this is how I'm building my church, this is how it's actually going to work. Because, I mean, I don't want to be a jerk, but I think, I don't want to be ignorant either, but sometimes I both. And I think that, from my observation... A lot of times what can happen in a church is that you, you have a couple of dynamic people and people can rally around that person. Thank God it'll never happen in this church. But, you know, there are other churches where that happens, right? And what that does is it stunts growth because growth comes from the word of God, yes. And James told us that we're blessed if we're hearers, but we're blessed more for what? If we're doers, so it, we can come here and hear the word and, and do all that kind of stuff or, or go to small group and hear the word, do all those things. But if there's not a doing, if there's not a give and a take, if there's not ligaments holding each other together, if there's not bone marrow making new blood cells and blood cells doing the healing in the, in the, in the, the uh, fractured you know, pieces of the body, these things, if all those things aren't happening, you get this weird empty shell. Well, the dynamic becomes this thing where you come, you hear something that maybe makes you feel good, and then you take it home, and, and it just kind of rots in the corner. I'm not saying that you guys are doing that. I don't know. What I'm saying is I feel like I've observed that many times in my life and in churches and in different places I've been. And that's so the opposite of what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be where you have people coming together with a vested interest in each other because supernatural love given by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he sheds sheds abroad in our hearts the love of the Spirit, right, from Romans 5. He's working in that. So I need to start asking myself something. If I don't love the people that I'm going to church with, if I don't care about them, if they don't mean something to me, then I have to ask why, don't I? 
because it's not their fault. We're just as broken as everybody else we go to church with. It's my fault if I don't love them. Now, it's not in me to begin to love them, but it is in me to decide to allow the Holy Spirit through repentance, through consideration, through meditation, through invitation, through reading his word, or finding a way that I can read it in a way I understand it, all these different things. That's what these things are for. But ultimately, it's to be built up with each other in love, in this incredible thing that God is doing. That's what we're called to. And Paul is just talking about these are the building blocks through the, the gifts of the Spirit in which that happens. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 1. He says, we, he's, he's leaving them, and he says, whether I'm coming or uh, whether I'm here or whether I'm going, I hope to hear of you, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, that you're striving together for the hope of the gospel. See, that's what our striving is for. This body is not striving for the Oval Office. This body is not striving to get laws passed. This body is not striving to make people stop smoking. This body is not stopping. We're not doing any of that to get family-friendly media. That is not our goal. Our goal is the faith of the gospel. Now, do we enjoy family-friendly media? I, maybe. It depends who you are, I guess. But that's, our goal is the gospel because the gospel saves people. The gospel changes lives. The gospel cleanses sin, right? The gospel cleanses everything that, that all the immorality and the difficulty that we're having, that we produce, the gospel cleanses that. So when we gather together as a body, yeah, we like to talk about whatever, you know. Obviously, we want to talk about the new Lord of the Rings series on Amazon. Clearly, that's something. But, the, you know, at the end of the day, after we get through the important stuff, we talk, it's the gospel. That's our goal, right? So when we're interacting with someone and our goal is now the gospel rather than something, you know, political or something in our, whatever it might be, some uh, uh, community program, when our, when our focus on is on letting people know that they can be forgiven of sin through his blood, that changes the entire dynamic, doesn't it? Because if you have beef with me or if I have beef with you, but yet I'm striving for the faith of the gospel, I'm not just going to leave and be mad and go. Right? I'm going to come and talk to you. You're going to come and talk to me. And if I'm striving for the faith of the gospel, when you come to me and you say, hey, you know what? I think you're stupid and your teaching sucks. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Why do you think that? Right? I don't have to be like, well, I think you're stupid. <laughs> right? And that's what happens at church. What happens at church is somebody gets offended. We act like children. And we go, I'm offended. And then we call other people and say, I'm offended. Do you not know how offended I am? Do you not know why I'm offended? Let me tell you why. I have a detailed description. And we spread it through the body. We spread it through social media. We do all these things. Instead of, if I'm striving for the gospel, the gospel of its very nature is the reconciliation, right? Aren't we called ambassadors of reconciliation? Because we're ambassadors of the gospel? We go to people and we say, hey, you know what? When you said you're stupid, while that may be true, it, it really hurt me. And it felt like, how do we have fellowship about this? How's it dishonored Christ, I think? And you can think I'm stupid, that's cool. But, I mean, I hope you love me, and I love you. And I hope we can have, move on in a relationship that seeks the better for both of us. And, and how could we do that together, right? Instead of what happens sometimes in, is just that instant offense, the wall goes up, and we're not responding in love. We're not responding in the spirit. We're just responding out of the flesh, right? So that's what happens. 
So we, we know that we're called together in one body through one spirit, universally, locally, whatever it might be. We know that that spirit, God's spirit, is in us, attached to us, to our souls, empowering us, leading us, guiding us, strengthening us, comforting us. All, right, all those things from John 14 and John 16, if you'd like to read about them. We don't have time to go into them. We know that that's all happening, and we know that, it's, that his Holy Spirit is also calling us to do and to act in his behalf for others. And that's what this is supposed to be. That's what church is always supposed to be. If you don't mind, let's also uh, turn to John chapter 7. Jesus commented on this idea. It's interesting that Paul says that we all are called to drink from one spirit. Obviously, metaphor again. But there's this idea there of, of drinking in the Holy Spirit that that, that, that takes... In a sense, action, right? If you go to drink something, it takes action on your part. I mean, I guess if, unless you're like, you know, laid up in a hospital and somebody squirts a little thing or whatever. But for a normal person, it takes effort to drink. And Jesus, he put it this way for us. These are, again, some of my favorite verses. You may be familiar with them. It says there in chapter 7, verse 37, On the last and the greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow, uh, flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So Jesus stands up at this feast in the, the, the last day. It's most likely historically. There's this half hour of quietness during this particular feast where it's a, an idea of reflection. And it's very possible that Jesus stands up and that absolutely all Jerusalem being silent stands up and yells this here in the temple or in the temple courts. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And, and again, allegory, metaphor. What is thirst? It's miserable being thirsty, isn't it? Not just like, oh, I'm kind of thirsty, I could go for something, but truly thirsty. Obviously, Jesus here is speaking of a spiritual thirst, right? He's not saying, hey, if anybody's thirsty, I have this, you know, workplace cooler and I'll give you water. He's saying, if you're spiritually thirsty, and I think all of us probably know that thirst, right? All of us probably know, what, and it comes out in different ways, doesn't it? It can come out, I know there's something better that I don't have, spiritually speaking, Right? In the sense that I know I'm missing something. I know that I need something. I know that something's going wrong and I'm not receiving something that I need. Right? Thirst kind of manifests itself in that way. Thirst can also lead to, to desperation. You, know, the, the, and you get thirsty enough and you start doing anything you can think of to try to have that thirst satisfied. You know, in a, in a, in a spiritual sense, you know what spiritual thirst typically leads to? Depression. And I'm not talking about clinical depression, whether it be, you know, postpartum or something like that. I, I'm talking about the kind of depression that seeks in, or sneaks in and, and, and says, I'm missing out. It says, I don't have enough. It says, you know, it can, it can take a lot of forms. It can, it can say, I'm not good enough. God doesn't love me enough. All sorts of different things. But it settles into our heart when we're spiritual thirst, spiritually, spiritually thirsty in the sense of not receiving what we need. I'm not talking about the Sermon on the Mount. That's a different idea. But when we're spiritual thirsty, it leads, it leads to depression. It leads to anxiety. 
right? When we don't have God's confidence in our hearts, when we're not walking in that faith and obedience, at least the place where we go, I don't know what's going to happen. What might befall me? What terrible thing? And we say things. We make weird confessions. I could never do that. I could never handle that. I don't know what I would do if that happened to me, right? Those are all signs of a, of a negative spiritual thirst. I'm not talking about Sermon on the Mount stuff. I'm talking about when we're not drinking, when we're not walking in what God has for us. So Jesus says this way. He says, if you are thirsty and you come to me, Jesus, not me, to Jesus, he says, what will happen is out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's kind of a weird thing. You know, some of your translations probably say belly. Uh, that has to do with cultural translation stuff where it's the idea of your inward self. You know, we in our culture consider that the heart, the Middle East uh, consider that the belly, the, you know, and sometimes the loins kind of thing. So he's just using that cultural idea. But out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And sometimes, uh, you know, if I think about it on a Sunday, I might ask myself, hey, if somebody, if somebody asked me today, how, do you, how are you doing, James? Am I going to say to them, I, you know what? It's as if rivers of living water were coming right out of here, baby. I don't dare lift up my shirt because who knows what would happen, right? Is that how we'd, come, is that how we'd classify our lives? I think typically we feel more like this. I'm surviving. I'm here. I made it, right? And I'm not, I'm not minimizing those things. I'm not saying we don't have problems. I'm not saying... Toughen up and you'll be spiritual water. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if we come to him, if we say, here I am, we have to be willing even to be willing to come to him, right? It's that first step to say, Lord, will you at least work in my heart so I'm willing to come to you? Because I'm so stubborn, I'm so set. I could never do that, or I'm not going to do that, or that would never work out, or that couldn't happen. And yet Jesus says, if you come to me and drink, Take in what he has. He says, then what will happen is the spirit will flow out of you. It's a stifling thing, or uh, not stifling, it's a fantastic thing that can be very stifling the will of human beings. Because we get to decide whether we have living water. Nobody else on the planet gets to decide if we have streams of living water flowing out of us. The government can't. Our spouses can't. Our children can't, our workmates can't, our schoolmates can't, our teachers can't, the police can't. Nobody decides that but us. Because Jesus says, if you come to me and drink, if you take in what I have for you, then this will be the result. Now, in their case, the Spirit hadn't come yet. And then we know in John chapter 20, he appears, Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection. And he says he breathes on them and he says, receive you the spirit. And so they kind of live in this intertestamental period, right? Because the, the Old Testament is just coming to an end and the New Testament is just starting, the new covenant. And so the way the early church received it, the, the first people that received it was through Jesus breathing upon them. But we know from Ephesians and other books that for believers from that point on received the Holy Spirit at the point of faith, at the point of trusting Christ. And, and we, we'll talk more later, uh, possibly at another date, about being filled with the Spirit and the, the gifts and how they manifest through that. But all that to say, this is just a giant expl explanation, a giant introduction to point out the fact that you and I have an incredible journey ahead of us. That we have incredible opportunity to do things that really matter. 
to do things that, that change people forever in, in God's power through us. And we don't want to neglect that. And that every Sunday or, or midweek service or whatever it might be, every single one of these days are an opportunity to see that happen. The question is, do we come in with availability and expectation? And that's for me, that's, that's for me too. Is that how I walk in? Is that what I'm open to? Or do I walk in just going, well, I'll go to church and hopefully I get a nugget from the teaching and then I'll be on my way. It's a completely different mindset. So we all drink the same spirit. Verse 15. So now he's going to go over some things that can happen in the body to, to individuals, how, how we may feel about things. He says there in verse 15, Now to the, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Right? So the first thing he addresses about spiritual giftings to the Corinthians is this. If a, if a person looks at their gift and says, well, because I don't have that gift, I'm not really contributing to God's kingdom. He says, even if you say that, it doesn't mean it's true. So if a hand says, well, I'm not an eye or I'm not a, a foot, so I'm not part of the body. He says, even if it says that, it's not true. It doesn't make it not part of the body. So again, he's just reiterating this point that we can look at other gifts or something like that or somebody else in the body and the way they're operating and go, well, because I can't do what they do, then you know what? I'm not part of the body. And Paul says that's foolishness. The first thing is this. You are part of the body. All right. And we're not trying to have like a pat your back social club. We're like, come on, guys, you're good people. You're horrible people. Right. <laughs> and I am, too, because we're sinners. And it's in there all the time. Uh, my like, life verse is like Paul's ch chapter, was it 723 or 19, where he, says, where he says, even when I do good, evil is always present with me. There's always that sin in there that, that can jump in and be like, oh, did that person appreciate you enough? Like, shut up. Shut up, James. I'm just trying to walk with Jesus. You lose it, right? It's just, what's your deal? So it's not about us thinking like, oh, we're good enough and we're smart enough and doggone it, God likes us. No, it's the fact that he loves you and he's empowered you and he accepts you exactly how you are. That's why it's through Christ. He doesn't uh, uh, cheer on sin. He doesn't appreciate sin. He, he may use sin for good. And we warp that sometimes to say like, well, I ripped that off, but then God used it for good. I was supposed to rip it off. No, you weren't. But you know, the point being is that he is amazingly merciful and kind, and he empowers us, and he knows exactly who, who we are. But so there's never a time in our lives where we say, well, well I don't have that, so I, I can't contribute. You can contribute. God's called you to contribute. And I don't know the way to, that he's called you to do that, but he has. You, you know, there's a million different things that are really excellent. You might be a good listener. And you might say, well, I'm not standing on a, on a stage telling everybody about Jesus, so I don't, I don't know about my gift. You know that statistically, and, and, and this is from Barna across the U.S., but statistically, and one more disclaimer, I'm not saying that anybody's right. Someone who comes to a new church, if they don't receive a warm greeting and felt like they were appreciated there, will not return. And you can make an argument, well, they should toughen up and go to church. Yeah, okay, I guess. Or, or, 
some good listener could stand at the door and say, how are you doing? And then listen, right? Because doesn't it feel good to be listened to? Doesn't it, isn't it something incredible when someone hears what you have to say and processes it and then says something intelligent back to you? And then you begin this crazy thing that's kind of lost in society called a dialogue, right? And, and it's those small things. So there's not really a gift where is, that is to be despised. There's not a gift that's not useful in, in God's kingdom. He's given them, he's empowered them, and he's, they're, they're there for us to utilize, to bless and be blessed. Then there's a second portion to this, he says, in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed these parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So he follows up with another idea. He says, look, if every single person, if we were all cookie-cutter Christians... And we're just pounding out Christians to all look the same way. He says, if you had, if the whole body was just one big eye, then what use would that be? How could the, that body do anything? It would be absolutely useless. And, and so he's making a second point that is this, that the diversity is needed. There has to be diversity in a healthy body or it's just deformed. There's something wrong with it. So we're not trying to create everybody with the same gift. We're not trying to create everybody doing the same thing. We're here just to walk in whatever God's called us to do. And then he makes a statement that may be hard or difficult sometimes, but he says this, God has placed the parts of the body, everyone, just as he wanted them to be. So you know what, if, you, if we were to go through all these different types of gifts, whether it's administration or giving or, or gifts of healing or you know, gifts in, in tongues, or all these, if we were to go through all these different gifts and to talk about them, the gifts that God has given you, he gave to you specifically. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like a leftover, like, oh, another soul, dang, we'll do this. You know, it was literally God thinking ahead of time to give you a certain gift and placing you where you will, where, where he will. Now, does that mean that, that no matter what, we will always be in the place in the church that we're supposed to be in? It does not mean that. We're not saying that because we have free will and we can adjust with those things and all, and all that kind of stuff. So we want to take this to a weird place. But when we find a place and we say, well, this is where I belong, then we're the, our calling is to plug into that place and to contribute to that place. So that that way that everyone can be built up and we can develop relationship. You know, the, 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 the relationship and fellowship in a church is probably, I think, and people would disagree with me, especially Calvary Chapel, who we're affiliated with, I think fellowship is the most important thing in a church. I said it. I really do. I don't think fellowship like around bad doctrine is good, but I think fellowship Care, spiritual care, is the most important thing in a church because that will actually facilitate the word of God in ways that it can be received. And I would just point, I don't want to rehash everything, but remember, the Bible isn't in everybody's hands until like 1850. Most churches had a scroll or two for a thousand years, right? Because they're all, they're all handwritten. The Gutenberg Press doesn't come until 1435, and the first Bibles are in German. Did that help any of the Saxons? 
So the, the vast majority of the church didn't have access to the word like we do today. And so trying to pretend like it did, to try to pretend like somebody in 1400 or 1000 AD lived like we do, where we fire up our uh, you know, website with our devotion for the day, and then we get into our one of 15 Bibles that we can have, that we can go down to like any store for $1.99 and pick up a full copy. That hasn't been real and since, until realistically the 1900s. So how did the church live? How did it exist? How did it make it through the dark ages? How did it make it through the persecution of Titus and Domitian? You know, how did all those things happen? How did it make it through Catholicism? And, and the idea, when, when the Catholic Church went through and stomped out every single translation, before the Catholic Church went on a rampage, they estimate that the Bible was in something crazy like 200 some odd languages. That there were scraps of it. And then the Catholic Church, in an effort to say that Latin is the holiest language, went through and found every copy they could and destroyed it, starting about 400 A.D. How did the church survive? Because they knew little things like, you should love one another. In fact, we're told historically that John, in the end of his, you know, towards like, 95, 100 A.D., after the writing of Revelation, that John would go to churches, granted he's like 100 years old, but he'd go to churches, and he would literally stand up and say, little children, love one another. And then he would sit down. You'd be like, wow, I came all the way for that. I really think so. I think when you have fellowship, when you suffer together, and that's what he says there in Philippians. He says at the end of that, that passage that I alluded to earlier, he says, it has been granted to you, literally given as a present. It has been granted to you not only to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for him also. And when you suffer for Christ in big and in small ways, and not just William Tyndale hugging the stake to be burnt alive, right? Not just those, those people back there. Not just mothers being burnt alive for teaching their kids the Lord's Prayer in Greek. Not that kind of stuff. That's impressive. But you know, we suffer in different ways. Paul says, in many things we offend all. We offend each other. We say stupid stuff. We act stupidly. We prefer ourselves. And we get to suffer for Christ when we see somebody say something stupid. And we get to go, okay, that was stupid. But I still love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to hold that against you. Fellowship, loving one another, exercising our gifts, it builds a strong church. A strong pastor doesn't. He helps, right? They help because you hear the word, but it's the individual that makes the church. It's so important that we understand that, that every one of us contribute and every one of us build it. And so when we retract from Christ, we rob one another. He goes on here and he says this, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. So this next thing that he addresses is that people would despise another person's gift. And that's fairly normal human beings, normal uh, human nature, isn't it? You're different than me, therefore you can't be as good as me, right? I mean, that's, that's where you get racial issues, it's where you get religious issues, it's where you get friend group issues. You're different, so I don't like that, right? That's completely normal human response. So that you bring that to spiritual giftings, and Paul says, look, you can't look at someone else and say, because you're not this, you're not important. He's just reiterating, not only can you not despise yourself and what God's given you, but you cannot and you should not despise, and I should not despise or judge what God has given someone else. 
He's going to say there in verse 23. And again, this is all, or verse 22, I should say, this is a metaphor. So we don't want to get too deep in this metaphor and try to figure out, well, who are the uncomely parts? I don't think that's the point of this. Verse 22 says this, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our present, uh, presentable parts uh, need no special treatment. So he, he gives these examples here, three or four examples here, of ways that the body interacts. And the first one is this, that the parts that seem weaker are indispensable. Now, the weaker parts, what does that mean? And we don't, he doesn't spell it out for us. But we want to be careful not to get too overzealous with a metaphor. We do know that he's already talked about people that have weaker faith. In the example of the uh, meat sacrifice to idols, the challenge that you have these new Christians are getting saved, they're not under the law anymore, and they can eat meat sacrifice to idols if they want to, right? And he goes into a whole thing about that. But he says, if you're a person that in your conscience you cannot eat the meat, you are not to judge the person that can eat the meat. And he says to the person who can eat the meat, you are not to despise the person who, in their conscience, cannot, even though they have the weaker faith. So he does say the person who's not able to walk in the liberty that God's given them is the person of weaker faith. But he goes on to say here that the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So you don't look at somebody who's got an issue in their life and go, well, you're kind of garbage. There's no place for you here. You, you know, until you can eat meat sacrificed to idols, you're basically like a spiritual bum, and you're weak. He says, no, they're indispensable. Those people cannot be done away with. They can't be just dis discarded. There's nobody in God's kingdom, there's nobody in God's house that, that is worthy of being discarded. That person doesn't exist. He goes on to say that the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Honorable, literally valuable. So people that we might look at that are, that are struggling in sin, people we might look at that can't seem to get with the program, he says that their esteem more valuable. Now, does, that, does God have some sort of weird economy where he says, well, the worse that you are, the more God loves you? No, he's not, he's not saying that. The idea is that when we see someone struggling, he'll reiterate here in a second, when we see someone struggling in their sin, as a body, what is our response? to help them, to give them more value, more effort in the moment, right? In other words, if a body is operating properly, if, if, you, uh, you know, if you walk into something and you get your eye poked, you don't go, oh, you stupid eye. Why didn't you shut quick enough? You're so dumb. I'm just going to pull you out, right? No, you, if, if your body's operating correctly, you immediately are like, oh, oh, right? And you start moaning, and everybody around like, what's wrong? And you're like, I got my eye poked. And you're like, eh. Okay, I mean, is this necessary? Are you just... But you responding to your own body, the healthy response is to cover your eye, right? The healthy response is, if you get a slash across your arm, you don't go, you know what? Go ahead and bleed, loser. You shouldn't have gotten scratched. No, you cover it. You bandage it. You, you know, sprinkle the, the foamy stuff on it. You, know, you, you do all those things, right? Because that's your body responding in a healthy way. So Paul says the people that we esteem more, that seem to have less value, meaning they're struggling, they're not up to par, however you want to put it. He says, no, 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 no. We give them more value. They have more value. We want to help them in their struggles. We want to bless them in their struggles. We don't want to punish them in their struggles. You ever been to a church that punishes people in their struggles? And I'm not here to throw stones. It gets ugly fast, doesn't it? Paul put it this way to the Galatians, beware lest you bite and devour one another. 
Because we can get like that. And it's like piranha where one gets injured and they all just turn on it because of the blood. That's not what we're to be. We're to be those that cover, those that help, those that are concerned. <clears throat> He's going to go on and he gives another example. And he says there, uh, and the parts that are unpresentable we treat with special modesty. So he's, you know, he's talking about body parts, but the, the issue is this, that there's sometimes that there's people that are they're unpresentable, the way they're acting and what they're doing. And he says, in this case, we give them more modesty. We cover them. We help them. We do things to make them more presentable. Not, to, not meaning like we're ashamed and so we're like, yeah, don't look over there. Here's a nice tuxedo. Just sit in that corner and be quiet, please. No, the idea is that we get around them. We pray for them. We invite them over our homes. We try to help them, right? We don't retract from it. He's going to go on from there, and he says, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, we say it this way, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You ever heard that? We use it in a negative way, typically, because we're like, yeah, that person's whining, so they get all the attention. But the idea is this. It's healthy in a body when someone's doing well that they don't get the attention. That's a healthy thing, right? If you have a healthy leg, you don't go, oh, ah, yeah, what's wrong? Well, nothing. I just, you know, like massaging my knee. That's weird, right? That'd be weird. So he says in a healthy body, people that are healthy, they don't get the attention. So we need to be careful when we're in the body that people that are unhealthy, that they're the ones getting the attention. Now, what's going on in Corinth? They're misusing gifts to bring attention to themselves. We know that from chapter 14. So Paul's making a point to them that's very valid. He's saying, look, don't draw attention to yourself if you're healthy, and healthy people don't need a lot of attention. Now, he's not saying that everybody ignore everyone until they're just deep in sin. We're not trying to make, like, weird dynamics out of this. But if you're doing okay, it's okay that, you know, everybody isn't coming up to you going, are you okay? That's good, right? It's maturity. It's weird if you crave and need that attention. And if you do find yourself craving and needing that, then that's something to work through with your brethren, right? We'll move on. Then he says, that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 24, while our present parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern one for another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honor, every part rejoices with it. Reiterating the point there, he says, look, excuse me, God has placed more honor on people that have lacked it. And again, we're not saying that one person is worth more than another. But the idea is God puts more value and more the, 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 the value in the sense of attention, that he puts more attention, that he puts more resources, that he puts more he, you know, Jesus put it this way. He leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. So he says that he created the body that way. And he says the reason he created his church that way is that so no one would ever be despised or unvalued in the church. That we're not to look at any individual, no matter how troublesome they may seem to us, and say, you have less value. That person doesn't exist in God's kingdom. Every person has value. And he's designed it so that we go to value. No. If, if we need to speak very candidly for a second, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to value troublesome people. In fact, it's impossible. We, as fallen human beings, are unable to love the way God loves. Thus, enter again the Holy Spirit. 
who's shedding his love abroad in our hearts, Romans 5 tells us. So while we're walking with God and we're repenting, when we perceive someone who's troublesome or of lesser value, then we are called to repent and to recognize the value that they do have. John puts it very harshly in this way. If I say that I know God, I have a relationship with God and I interact with God, that I know him and that I love him, but I hate my brother, I am a liar. That's one of the hardest verses in the entire Bible. He's not saying you're not saved. He's saying you're a liar. I'm a liar. If I say that I love God, I just love Jesus so much. I just love coming here and singing. I just, Jesus, Jesus, I have a Jesus trapper keeper. I have a Jesus bumper sticker. I got a Jesus shirt. I hate that guy. God says, you're a liar. You actually have no idea what God is about, and you have no idea what love is or who God is. That's just like, that's rough. So we are called to this supernatural life of denying ourselves, saying no to us, getting help from those around us to say, hey, I'm struggling. I need help. We're called to a supernatural life of walking into every establishment of God's people, every gathering and saying, why am I here? Who can I bless? It could just be a hug. It could just be, oh, hey, I, I, you know, this, this verse came to me the other day. Maybe this is for you. It could just be a how are you doing and then listening. It could just be a million things, right? No gift is, is, is an essentially like a despised gift. That's what he's saying. It's pretty incredible what we've been gifted with as Christians. So he goes on there and he says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Kind of what we're saying. A healthy body suffers when one part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Amen? Amen, Amen, huh? Maybe that's one to throw on the old fridge. And God has placed in the church... First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And then he asks rhetorical questions. Verse 9, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So what in the world is he saying here? This is kind of, a, it almost can seem a little bit contrary, can't it? First, he says this, that God had placed in the church, first of all. So that phrase, first, first of all, it's the idea of um, priority. Not superiority, but priority. And this is Paul talking about, really, how God began the church. Universally, and oftentimes, churches uh, that are just individual churches that are established. He says that first God gave apostles. So we might think, when we say apostle, you might think like, oh, Bartholomew and John and Peter and, you know, these guys, right? You go, oh, the, the, the big 12 until Judas has his, had his mishap. And then, you know, Paul kind of took his place or, you know, we can, those kind of things. But it's, the word apostle is actually applied to all sorts of people. It's applied to Barnabas, Acts 14, 14. It says the apostles, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, it's applied to, uh, uh, I believe, Apollos. Different people who were not part of the big 12 were labeled as apostles. An apostle, it just means a commissioned person or a person on a mission that's been commissioned to do it. So that makes sense, right? That God would set a priority and say, I'm making apostles. These are, and if you look at the book of Acts, who is out roaming around first? 
It was apostles. But even as apostles, how did churches get started? Through ladies like Lydia, right? Who goes out to a place where prayer is wanting to be made. Like, this looks like a good place to pray. I will pray here. And then Paul comes along. He's like, hey, you're praying, I'm praying. He preaches the gospel. She's like, I'm into that. I will receive this. And then she's like, come to my house and have lunch. And Paul's like, no. And she's like, no, really, come to my house and have lunch. Paul's like, she prevailed upon us. Okay. (laughs) Right? So here you have this awesome alpha female. like, you're coming to my house and you're having lunch. And that's how it's going. And Paul's like, okay. And so he goes there, right? And what happens? A church gets started in her house. So you have an apostle who's sent to someone on the other side who's ready to facilitate this church. Lydia's rich. She's a seller of purple, right? It comes from like a little mussel, like this little shellfish in the, the Mediterranean. It was incredible in Rome. There were the, the, the trade that took place over that. And in Roman history, it actually has a big part. It's kind of wild. It was Lydia, right? In other places, dudes, it's, it's men and women just being available for God doing these incredible things. So he's just, he just lays these things out, and he says, hey, these are, these are prioritive gifts, and they're, and they're all useful in the building of his kingdom. He just lays out how they typically occurred in the starting of a, of a, of a church. Then he asks this really interesting question, or four or five questions, and he's rhetorical. And in the Greek, it's in the answering a question with the expectation of no, which might seem, you know, it's, for a, it's a rhetorical question. Is everybody an apostle? No, they're not. Is everybody a prophet? No. Does it say that not everybody, that, everybody, that nobody can have a, a gift of prophecy? It doesn't say that. It says that there are certain people that were gifted prophets and they had a mission in that. And he's making the point, no, not everybody has that mission. And he's going to go on from there. And this is important. Is, is everybody a teacher? Maybe you just be like, I'm not good at teaching the word. That's just not where I'm at. That's not, not who I am. That's Okay. Are you good at listening to people? Are you good at blessing people? He goes on there and he says, do all work miracles? Does every single person be like, and voila, the car runs now because I prayed for it? No. The answer is no. Right? Why are these questions so important? How many denominations are there or Christian teachings are there that say, if you don't have crazy miracles going on in your life, you're not actually saved or you're not a valid Christian? A lot of them. He's going to go on to say, do all speak in tongues? You have entire denominations that say, if you haven't spoken tongues, you're not actually saved because that's the definitive uh, uh, evidence that the Holy Spirit has filled you. And yet we have Paul here saying, does everyone speak in tongues? No, they do not. Okay, so these are important questions that he's asking. He's just making the point again, look, there's so much diversity. Now, what's up with this weirdness? Verse 31 now eagerly they desire the greater gifts. So you're like, there's these prioritative gifts. And then he says, not everybody has all those gifts. And then he says, but we should really want them. That feels like a tease to me. That, that can't be right. So what is he saying here? Well, there's a couple, of, there's two things here that I think we have to keep in mind. Number one, chapter 14 is going to be all about the fact Paul says it's better in a corporate gathering of, of God's people. He puts it this way. He says, I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words in a tongue, in, in like, a, like a speaking in tongues thing. He says in a corporate gathering, I would rather say, I would rather say five words that people could understand than 10,000 words that they can't understand. 
So the emphasis in the, the corporate gathering of God's people is that, that the, the gifts that would be exercised are gifts that would edify everyone. Does that make sense? He is also given a priority of gifts. And when he says desire the greater, or the priority of gifts there in verse 27, 28, the priority there. But then, but then in 31 where he says desire, eagerly desire the greater gifts, it's the word mega or larger, Right? So really what Paul's saying here, he's not saying like, hey, these are the awesome gifts, but not everybody has them, but you should really want them. What he's saying is, in your church, where this abuse is taking place, that your desire, your prayer should be that God is raising up those that are exercising their gifts in a way that the whole church can be edified, not just one person. And it is, I think it's inside of every one of us, possibly, to want to draw attention to ourselves with our gifts and, and, and to be upset when our specific gift we feel like isn't being exercised. And, and, and yeah, we're out of time. and That'd be a long thing to develop. But let's be weary when we're offended over our gifts. In other words, if, if we feel despised, we, you know, our feelings get hurt, be weary or wary of your response. Because even if we're offended, our response, our call is still to walk in love. That never changes. It's never like, oh, you're offended? Well, then definitely don't walk in love. Do what you want to do. It doesn't change because of that. And then lastly, he says, and I will show you the most excellent way. Uh, literally, they're the super excellent way uh, in the Greek is what it says. And he's going to go on to talk about love. So our call as Christians is that we have something to give. We have something to give. And it's our job, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to Christ and to one another to explore that. You know, one of the best ways to find out what your spiritual gifts are are to just be in fellowship. You know, it really is. Because what happens is when you're in fellowship with people, people will say to you, they'll say, hey, you know what? I see this in your life. It's really cool how God does that through you. You're an incredible listener. It's really been a blessing to me. Because I think that sometimes, you know, we can despise it. And I, let me just encourage you this way. A lot of times we don't see our own spiritual gifts. And so when someone comes along and they say, wow, you're really good at this. We go, no. No, I'm not. No, that was a fluke. You know, we have all these reasons why it's not true. And let me give you a pro tip. I don't really know people that go up and give weird spiritual gift compliments because they're just trolling you. Like, they're just like, I really want to see you make a fool of yourself. You're really good at singing. You should try out for the worship team. You know, I don't think that happens in a healthy church. I don't think it does. I think that most people are, like, super genuine. And when they say, like, this is a real blessing to me, we should listen to that. Not so we can go, yeah, that's right. I am better than you. But so that we can understand and internalize that God is using us. And when someone comes along and says, I see God using you this way to consider that, to pray about it, to, to mull it over, and then be willing to say, okay, Lord, if that's, if that's from you, how can I use that for your kingdom? How can, I be, how can that expand to be a blessing to others and to be open to that? So that's all we have to say. The Lord has great things for you. He really does. He's got gifts for you. He's got people for you to help into eternity and people to, for you to help to be a greater part of eternity. And, and it's only us that gets to decide if that gets stifled.
That's a pretty incredible thing that God has for us. So in the, you know, we did this, I don't know, a few months ago, I think in the summer, uh, just seemed appropriate. A uh, couple, we did this two months, I think. Anyway, if you're interested in fellowship, we're having a, my wife and I, my family, we're just going to have dinner down here at six. So if you want to join us for dinner, bring your own food. Um, I'll have a barbecue going for our food. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're interested to go, just, yeah, well, I'm just going to get a barbecue going. I think we're going to do some burgers or something and just bring something to throw in the barbecue uh, and a bag of chips or something. We'll bring some extra stuff. But if you're interested in fellowship, it, it won't be organized because it's me, and we probably won't eat all at the same time because I'm bad at that. But if you want to just chat and hang out, um, 6 o'clock tonight, we'll, we'll be here uh, having some dinner. So no strings attached. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your loving kindness and your great mercy. Thanks for calling us, for saving us. Thanks for the power of the gospel, the shed blood of Jesus that cleanses all of our sin. Lord, we pray that yeah, that message of the gospel, that message of hope would go out from this place and every place that calls upon your name. And Lord, that your, our community, that people would be getting saved, that we would be open to conversations, that we'd be open to getting hurt, that we'd be open to victory. Lord, we pray that you would do a great work in us individually, in our church, our, our little part here of your body, and that we would be a blessing to you. Thanks for being kind. We appreciate it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.